Hello, welcome back to the Book of Medora. I'm Crystal. With me as always is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. I forgot what number we're on. Is this seven? Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think that it's the seventh episode. I think this is the seventh episode of Tears of the Kingdom. You know what that means. It's time to go to the bird town. That, that is a reasonable place to go on this, the seventh episode of Tears of the Kingdom. You know who I'm excited to see? You know, one of my favorite characters from Breath of the Wild that I can't wait to see how he and his family have developed in the six years since <laughs> is the it, famous, the bard of Hyrule, the poet laureate Cass. Oh, that does sound pretty nice. Doesn't that sound nice? Yes, I wonder what he's up to. So I think that before we get into this, I just think it's worth pointing out that since our last recording, it has come out that uh, Fujibayashi and Aonuma said that there is no current plans for DLC for Tears of the Kingdom. It's not currently being worked on. Uh-huh. <laughs> that yeah. was a very uh-huh, uh-huh, Crystal. I'll believe it when it doesn't come out. That could take a while. People were were waiting for a Super Mario Odyssey DLC and Age of Calamity DLC for quite a while. They announced Elden Ring DLC one year after it released, and then they haven't said anything about it since. I'm that that is very true. That's hard to argue with. Uh, how could they leave us hanging with Cass? A lot of people thought that Cass would be one of the primary focuses of the DLC. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's why I bring this up. Yeah, because it's like we're a Cass, though. How did you feel about a lack of everyone's bird husband, Crystal? The lack of Cass is so thorough that I didn't even notice he was gone until after I was done with it. Really? Oh. They didn't try to delete him entirely, though. His daughters are running the place. And they mention their dad. All the time. (laughs) And after you are done with the the newspaper quest, uh, what's-his-face, Penn retires to Wash's Bluff, where a famous bard once resided. He uses the past tense, huh? <laughs> well, Cass clearly isn't there now. Maybe Cass is in the sky, in heaven. Being dead? With the Zonai. Maybe. What, do you mean being with the Zonai or being dead? Either he's dead or Breath of the Wild never happened. <laughs> okay, we gotta address this whole Breath of the Wild never happened it's, thing. You, you have to admit, even if you think that's incorrect, you have to admit this is one chalk on the board for that theory. I mean, do I have to admit that? Gotta... Why? Wait, wait. Let's walk through the the reasons. Yeah, t- because talk... Cass like kind of doesn't exist in Tears of the Kingdom. He like literally... he is obliquely referenced, but not really. It's like where's our boy? He's he's referenced in the same way that you would reference like an Ocarina of Time character. <laughs> he does get less name drops than Rudo of the Zora. Yeah. Does anyone ever say Cass's name? No. I didn't hear it. Oh. That's why I was so thoroughly tricked. I even forgot that he even did exist once. Wow, that is pretty thoroughly tricked. I mean, the thing about Cass is that in Breath of the Wild, he probably had more spoken lines than any other character. Like, you could take any other two characters, including Zelda from all the cutscenes, and combine them, and they would have less dialogue than Cass does. Well, <clears throat> Placing him at the end of Breath of the Wild and the DLC, he's completed his teacher's mission or vision. It's true that he's finished. So now he can go off and do his own thing, which clearly is family abandonment. I mean, that was kind of his thing in Breath of the Wild, too. Yeah, he was trying to make it happen. He's not a very present father. 
He's like Goku. Um, he's like Goku if Goku didn't have Chi Chi. To beat him into taking care of the kids. Yes. All Gokus need a Chi Chi, except I think Toriyama kind of forgot that part. Wait, ah, never fucking mind that goddamn series. Best manga of all time. No, that's not true. Best no, shonen <laughs> manga of all time. It's the what most manga of all time? The best shonen manga of all time, Dragon mm. Ball. I think that I would put Hunter Hunter over it. That's fair. People like Hunter Hunter. And maybe, I mean, it's not finished yet, but Chainsaw Man's better than Dragon Ball ever was. Mm, I don't agree with that. Mm, I'll have to think about it. Full Metal Alchemist. Now. I don't agree with that. Now that yeah. is a manga. No, I'll side with Monica on this one. I mean, it's good. It's a good manga. It's not Dragon Ball. I mean, you, Crystal, how far does Dragon Ball extend? Is it the full run of Dragon Ball? Yeah, we're talking Pilaf to Boo. Okay, because I mean, they still credit Toriyama as the writer on Dragon Ball Super, that manga. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not discussing Dragon Ball Super. I'm talking about Dragon Ball. Because I think if you include that, it fucks up the bell curve a bit. Yeah, but that's why I'm not including that. It's a different manga. All right, fair enough. Uh, no, I think I think that it's really clear in the latter half of Dragon Ball that Toriyama had, if not run out of ideas, then he was being strong-armed by his editorial department to go back to certain modes of storytelling. What do you mean? Um, well, he killed Goku at the end of the Frieza saga. Yes. And then he killed Goku at the end of the Cell saga. Yes. And then he killed Goku at the end of the Boo saga. Yes. <laughs> and every single time he meant to take the manga back into a more lighthearted, funny, youthful direction rather than it being universe shaking punches all the time. Yes, this is this is an accurate assessment. I think that it being a battle manga in its latter days is it had a deleterious effect on its quality. Like it, it's still good for what it is, but it stops being special in the same way that it was up through the Frieza saga to me. To me, the Boo Saga is my favorite saga because it has the most hijinks in, uh, around. Yeah, but it has so many characters. Oh my god. And, and I love so all the like, It has Mr. Satan. It has uh, Boo. It has it Boo. Have... It has Boo. It has Boo. <laughs> it does. That's true. It does have Boo four times. And it does have Mr. Satan. It's hard to argue with Mr. Satan. I guess, Zelda. Mm, I don't know if Zelda's one of the best shonen manga of all time is the thing. It's shonen. Um... There's at least a few cases where it's definitely shoujo. <laughs> it's an intellectual property that can be published in both shonen and shoujo magazine. In fact, I would argue that all of the Himekawa manga are undoubtedly shoujo. Absolutely. You can tell just by looking at it. Yeah, 100%. Never mind reading it. You know, I just read the um, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons manga. How was it? I want to say that there's some good bits in there, especially the first half of the Seasons manga, where it's just about, like, Link dealing with his budding relationship with Din and what that means for the duty that he's supposed to have to his family and to Hyrule. And every time that it focuses on how characters talk to each other, it's pretty great. But then it remembers that it's adapting a Zelda story and it gets into this perfunctory adventure shit, and that's not nearly as good. I think that it's badly, badly hamstrung by being only two Tankoban volumes long. Oh, that's pretty concise. It is staggering. You can read the entirety of Oracle of uh, Seasons in like uh, 45 minutes. 
And action has never been their strength in in drawing, and they can't really do much with it because there's so many friggin' dungeons. They don't trim it down? No, they trim it down quite a lot, actually. Okay. Like, there's barely any... There's not really any dungeons in it to speak of except for the Temple of Seasons. Though they do an interesting thing with Din's character where instead of being kidnapped, it reads like she's about to have a big showdown with Anox and then opts to go with him of her own will because Link is about to die. She's framed as this almost deific figure who's supposed to be solving her own problems, which was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Also, Ricky's in that manga a lot. And he beats... Ricky the kangaroo. Ricky the kangaroo fights like every... Every single boss from the first Legend of Zelda simultaneously in the big action sequence. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. He is beating all the ass. Anyway. How did you feel when you got to Bird Town and you saw that there were only baby birds? I was fucked up by that. <laughs> There's did a whole think- long trek over to begin with. And you hear that there's it, it's going through a food shortage. But I think the exact intensity of that is is hidden until you get there and the song is different and the town looks half buried in the snow did we think do you think the adults were dead oh god i didn't know i was having some serious flashbacks to goran city and ocarina of time i didn't think that they were dead necessarily but very absent for unknown reasons this minor key windy version of fucking dragon roost island playing while you're walking around it's just the kids pretending to run the shops and keeping the fires going while talking about how little food there is and i was like this shit has never been more real than it is right now crystal did you think that they were dead if you remember pre-release i made an assertion that teba was dead and that's why tulan had to be the sage (laughs) that's true yeah i think we had a discussion about how long do rito live are there, are, how old do Rito get to be? Yes. And that's, coming with that conversation in mind is why I thought, did all the adults die from the cold or age? <laughs> no, I understand completely. I, I, all, I, I felt that, I didn't think of those specific reasons, but I walked in and I thought something is wrong and everyone is missing. What happened? There was a, an adult kidnapping monster. I mean, that's happened in the past. Probably. I mean, Ganondorf did that. Oh, yeah. I guess Ocarina he is an time. adult kidnapping monster. Yeah, that that is exactly happened. It's a it's a very nice version of Dragon Roost Island that's playing. I'm kind of sad that it goes away, but I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the kids are singing the song of the Stormwind arc. One of Cass's daughters talks about her dad insisting that it's real. It sure would be great if we could talk about the story of the Stormwind arc here. Let's talk we about it. We can still do that. We already did. We can that, still let's talk do about, that. that was six episodes ago. <laughs> was it only six? Yeah, it was probably six episodes ago. That was, hold on, let me check my phone. Let's see when we recorded that one. Medora, Tears of the Kingdom, part one. Uh, July 2nd. What? It is now September the 10th. That's right. <laughs> we weren't playing the fucking game for this long. That's right. Okay, please continue. You two talk about the Stormwind arc, and I'm just going to stare into the middle distance. Um, the kids are singing it, I think because it's a good luck charm. It's not because the song will will, will work any sort of magic, uh, but it is 
it does uh, come up or is thought of during times of disaster that one day the winds got all fucked up and some mysterious guy fell from the heavens and this was deemed a god or a lord and the Rito tried to get him back home could not do so until the person magically assembled a number of ships from a bunch of supplies and they all sailed up and then uh, sometime later the winds unfucked themselves and the guy had sent the Stormwind Ark as thanks I I don't think that they sent the Stormwind Ark as thanks. No, that's literally what it says. Okay. Hold on. Uh, The god had given them the blessing of the wind. Yes. The Ark was sent by the Lord in gratefulness. That's one of the summaries that is in the cabin uh, wherever Heath is. Got it, got it. It's not part of the actual song itself, but that's what the Rito thinks. Okay. I don't think they're right. Why is that? The Stormwind arc does have a lot of Zonai components in it, but it looks pretty distinctly Rito, or fusion of the two. So what are you suggesting? The Rito have sort of forgotten their origins and contributions to creating this arc. What do you make of that, Crystal? What stands out to you as Rito about the Stormwind arc in design? Um, a few different things. One, the patterning is sort of... The Rito have a thing going on with triangles and arrows and so on. Uh, the front of the arc has two giant birds. And then just the fact of color, because the Zonai structures are all just blank stone. And these are like multicolored everywhere, which is again a very Rito thing. That is a good point. Could it be that the god had crafted this arc in the Rito style? That could be. I could definitely read it as being collaborative. I assumed it was collaborative, actually. <laughs> well, it could be like, yeah, those Rito were pretty cool. We're going to make a ship dedicated to them. They'll know it because it's got birds in the front. It's all birds. I mean, it looks exactly like the other ships, which are supposed to have... Well, no, those were definitely in the story built by Built by the, the Lord. guy. But they're not powered by Zonai batteries? Like, how are they floating there? Maybe they are. How do they keep floating there? Shut up. (laughs) Stop worrying about it. That's how. Crystal, do you think they're Zonai powered? What else could they be powered by? Magic. Like real magic. Yeah. Real magic, not Zonai. Not Zonai technology magic, but magic magic. And it really only seems to appear... Well, I mean, it wasn't there in Breath of the Wild. And I don't think it was... Because we couldn't go high enough. Because there's parts of it that... I guess it must have been in the clouds. Yeah, this was definitely above the cloud barrier. Mm-hmm. Mm. I got nothing. The other thing I was wondering about the Stormwind arc is... Why is Colgara within it? I thought Colgara was summoned by uh, Puppet Ganon. Yes. Well, before we get to Colgara, let's <laughs> work our way up to the okay. Stormwind arc. What happens in Rito Village? There's a little baby bird named Tulin. Drew (laughs) wants to save the day. He's too little and too small and he can't do it. Or so everyone tells him. What a short, short little guy. But he's fully fledged, he insists. And he does have the power of magical winds, which nobody else for a hundred odd years have had. And he's like, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him all. And then his bow gets stolen by some monsters. And he's like, damn it. Well, there goes me. Well, yeah, he also doesn't want to 
believe in the stupid baby legends that everyone else seems to be. For babies. But uh, Teba and uh, his wife are there. Gosh, what was her name? Saki. Teba and Saki. So they haven't all died, but that was the point when I thought that uh, Owl Kapora Gabora guide was definitely dead. Kamali. Kamali. He's not dead. <laughs> no, he sure isn't. He's hanging out at the flight range now. He's just retired? Yeah, he just tends to the flight range, keeps it swept up and neat and orderly. It's interesting because they the role isn't chief, it's elder. And you're like, well, elders kind of imply that you stay on for quite quite a while, even into your old age. Elder means that it's not strictly a matter of hierarchy. Like That's true chief is it means that you have the most experience that the community can draw upon so that they will come to you for advice but you don't necessarily have authority so to speak well now it has been transferred over to the most fleshed out rito character teba look he can get it it's fine (laughs) what i like about the area and the story of the rito is a couple of things like this the storm has been going on for a while. I think they mentioned it was caused by the upheaval. And so Link, again, must have been in the sky and then, you know, running around Hyrule for weeks. And uh, they were dealing with an issue of starvation. The newspapers, the, the Gazette, published that. And different people started to send in aid, even though it's a little bit hampered because they can't get past the broken bridge. But even that part, they they start to work their way around it. I think one of the Rito women manages to fly over and communicate, and they're going to haul over the food or something like that. The Rito village is a part where you get a sense very concretely of the mutual aid that's keeping Hyrule afloat right mm-hmm. now. And all the Rito adults, instead of being dead, are scavenging for food, and they're very actively trying to address their issue. They're not waiting to be saved, per se. How did you read all of the social dynamics between the disparate groups of Hyrule Crystal? Like, did you read this as being a mutual aid answer to a starvation crisis? Yes, this definitely threw off my perception of time for how long Link was in the sky, because it seems like this has been months for them to be running out of food. Yeah. And for them to, to have a whole arrangement, it seems like everyone's still in, um, we are coming together for this crisis mode. But also it seems like the crisis has been going on long enough that it's kind of become a normal state of affairs. Yeah, that definitely feels right to me. I guess it's because of the speed of newspapers, even though it's fairly instantaneous by our experience. It has to be published by the Lucky Clover, which is based in uh, just outside of Rito Village. And then it has to be curried over to all of the other stable or whatever that takes time and then even more time to rally up that food aid and get it back so link has to help Tulin get his goddamn bow back (laughs) but but it is it has also traveled over to the the horn guy who set out to on a trek so he could play to the rito to make them feel better now for our (laughs) listeners monica does not mean the horn guy as in the horned god nor does she mean the evil statue, nor does she mean several other characters who have horns. She means the horn player from the band that plays at all of the stables. The stable trotters. The stable trotters, yes. Eustace the horn guy who fell into a hole. Fell into a fucking hole. 
We haven't talked about them. We can talk about them at a later point. Sure. So just just forgive me forgive me for steering a little bit back. Link has to help Tulin get his bow back. Crystal, what happened? You gotta yeah fight an uh, what do they call it? an araconda? Yeah. Yeah, you gotta fight yes. an araconda. You gotta shoot it so it drops the bow. So Tulin gets it and then you fight all the bacoblins together. And the other Rito fly over. That's Hearth with a big hair. And Tulin is very embarrassed that everyone else saw them fight, even though they were being very cool. And he clarifies that he dropped his bow in surprise because he saw Princess Zelda being attacked by monsters. <gasps> he couldn't keep it together at that sight. Yes, he was so surprised he dropped his bow and then that the Araconda grabbed it and swooped off. It's Zelda. Zelda's there. We gotta go find Zelda. Where'd Zelda go to? And she's like, she went up to the top of this mountain and then up and up. Yeah, she flew up into the cloud. Hey, what the fuck is Phantom Ganon doing here? What what what's the goal? Checking in on Colgara, making sure it's got snacks and water and stuff. <laughs> you don't think that this is a thing about like luring the hero to his death or something? But why would he lure the hero to the place he needs to go? That's the weird dichotomy of like we gotta kill Link. The strongest things to kill Link are in these temples, but oops, that's also where he can power up, make allies, and power up his allies. Does that imply that on some level the Phantom Ganon wasn't just trying to kill Link? Do you think he's also trying to kill Tulin? No. I mean, yes, absolutely. The, the <laughs> whole things are aimed at killing the sages. But, but did you mean the Rito as a whole? Yeah. Yeah, also the Rito. Um, but I wonder, mm, I guess this whole, every Crystal, tell me what you think of this. Everything about this, the way that Zelda acts in all of these, these actions taken against the peoples of Hyrule are done with the assumption that Link is not there. Yes, that makes sense. So instead of trying to lure Link to the uh, Stormwind Arc, Phantom Ganon is trying to lure Tulin to the Stormwind Arc where Kolgara would kill him. Just as the Wind Blight Ganon killed uh, Rivali. Yeah, that makes sense to me. You gotta kill Tulin, so he can't be a sage. And do you think this is less effective if Link was here? It clearly. Well, yeah, but uh, Phantom Ganon doesn't swerve in their plan. I think it's all a bit set at this point. You could change it at any time. Okay, go on, Crystal. If you were Phantom Ganon, what would you do in this situation? If I was Phantom Ganon... I would probably try to use my uh, more hideous, desiccated Ganon-ness with the gloom to kill Tulin when he's off wandering around on the mountain. Also, I would uh, have like a nice, really screwed up scene with Link, with Zelda, and dialogue and whatever, but that's just me. What would you do, Crystal? Oh my god. Uh does anybody besides Link encounter Phantom Ganon in his true form? No. no. Some some people have seen the hands, but nobody ever talks about seeing the Phantom Ganon. It seems like he's saving that one for Link. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, what would I do in the situation? I mean, I guess I would probably like pull down one of the blocks really hard while Link is standing on it. Yeah. If he hasn't gotten the paraglider yet, that's a pretty good strategy. I mean... Phantom Cannon did that to me at one point, and then I reversed time and wrote it back up. <laughs> yes, blame him. Do you think... There's also the possibility... He's taking the guise of Zelda throughout all of this to all of the disparate peoples and 
I'm not going to say like really besmirching her name, but really upping the tensions, let's say, politically. No, I would say that it's besmirching her name. Okay. Zelda is causing monsters that are attacking and trying to kill our peoples. What are you laughing about, Crystal? The only reason it did not effectively besmirch her name is because Zelda is such a perfect queen that even when she's doing things that are clearly obviously evil, the people will give her a benefit of the doubt. It's like, yeah, it's got to be a good reason she's unleashing all these monsters. Maybe with enough time, and if Link wasn't there, that would have succeeded. Now, in fairness, she, from every single people's in Hyrule, she got one get-out-of-jail-free card from fighting the Calamity for 100 years. Oh, and just to complete it, if I was Phantom Ganon, I think that on some level I might also be steering Link towards the destruction of the Demon King. But that's, I think the Demon King specifically doesn't want Link to dive into the deep hole. I don't care what he wants. Oh, okay. But he's still your boss. No. Wait, are you saying that he's trying to buy time for the yes. Demon King? Okay. I think that pretty clearly he's yeah. trying to buy time for the Demon King. Sure, that makes sense too. But I'm saying if I was Phantom okay. Ganon, yes. if Cameron yes. was the Phantom Ganon, yes. I would also be running a side thing where it's like, honestly, I don't need the Demon King. That does sound like an aspect of Ganon that has gained sentience and sapience above its creator. Yeah. Now, I do agree that the whole besmirch Zelda, kill off a good portion of the population, wreck the nation thing, that w- the gears would have been set in motion even before they knew Link was alive. Like, they thought he was dead. Right. So, given enough time, that plan would have succeeded. Yeah, she'll run out and get out of jail free cards eventually. But then also, every peoples in Hyrule would have fucking died from it, so... Or more or less, yeah. There'd be, like, stragglers. But what would even happen if they besmirched her name? She's not around. Well, I think the interesting thing about that is, one, maybe Demon King Ganon doesn't know that. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The Phantom Ganon's being a dick of her own accord. But... Something that you both have pointed out here is that Ganondorf hasn't revealed himself to anyone. So he could decimate everyone and then show up fully fleshified and go, hey, I'm the king now. Or what he could do is pull an Incredibles, show up and slay these monsters that have been plaguing these lands in a way that Zelda could not. That's true. Maybe I'm a better king than Zelda is. Yes. The last motion, of course, being the slaying of Zelda herself. I don't think that's even necessary because Zelda's gone. Who no, knows where she Because the Phantom Ganon is still there, right? Oh. So if you slay the Phantom Ganon Zelda, then for the people who witness it, you have stopped Zelda who was releasing all these monsters on the land. It TV could be school. even something that Phantom Ganon is in on too, though. Like, act out that death. It would be devious. Ooh, I like this idea. But that also is part of why, if I was Phantom Ganon, I'd be like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck That's- you? To, to the Demon King. But I think, go ahead. Phantom Ganon is not as strong as the Demon King. True. But you know who is as strong as the Demon King? Who? That twink over there. <laughs> oh, seduce Link. Okay. Well, I'm not saying you even have to seduce him. You just Ooh. have to build him up. Though seducing him could also help. (laughs) But uh, I think 
the the constant conflict of Ganondorf and the all baddies, as the simple narratives would have it, is that their troops and followers have to be less cunning than them or less powerful, or else they will instantly want to depose that leader. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Phantom Ganon seeking to, if not depose, then at least kill Ganondorf. Well, that's the thing that Ganondorf probably made him just one degree less smart or daring. I'm not sure if that's necessarily true, because this Ganondorf is much less cunning than previous versions of that character. Do, do you disagree with that, Crystal, the idea that this Ganondorf is a bit more of a meathead? I think that that's true. This Ganon is a bit more of a meathead. Okay, so do we feel that the Ascent to the Stormwind arc is the best gameplay sequence in Tears of the Kingdom? It's one of them. It's a very strong opening. Yes, I really liked the part, and it was very surprised by the part where Tulin is just like, yeah, let's go, and then he's here. Yeah. I, I think that in many ways, the Ascent to the Stormwind arc is like the battle with Varuta of Tears of the Kingdom, where they just give you this really, really, really cool thing to start with. It lasts for a long time, though. It the does. Ascent. It's like an hour to an hour and a half of good ascending. It like, is a dungeon in and of itself. There's like two shrines on the way. There's at least one flux construct. The navigation was apparently so difficult, my sister got stuck. <laughs> yes, that did happen. She forgot about Ascent. Hey, can can I throw out a hot take for you two? Uh-huh. This isn't like a pretend hot take. This is something that I expect either one or both of you to push back against. Okay. So I think that the Ascent to the Stormwind arc is phenomenal. It is, in some ways, the best traversal gameplay that the Zelda series in general has ever had. And it is just, it, it's one of the best, most tightly designed set pieces that Nintendo's ever come up with. That's not the hot take part. The hot take part is that I think that it's an illustration for why I prefer, as a holistic package, why I prefer Breath of the Wild's traversal to Tears of the Kingdom's traversal. Elaborate. Well, you know how, um, okay, so we're going up there. You have to do all of these. You have to use all of your abilities. You have to ascend carefully. You have to rewind time to get uh, fallen rubble back to where its place was supposed to be so you can run across it. You have to do just all sorts of really cool things, use trampolines to get up, or, or you could just build a little flying machine and fly up. Uh-huh. Usually at this point, you don't have the batteries to sustain that. I know. But you actually don't need a ton of batteries because you can get more, like, overcharged things. And regardless, so you've got this really beautifully designed platforming sequence that you can just skip. And that's kind of Tears of the Kingdom and Microcosm, where it has a really beautifully designed world and amazing topography and ways that you're, like... Your eye is drawn to certain places. It's a lot like Breath of the Wild, only the ground is even more carefully designed, except you don't see any of that. Your experience of getting around in Tears of the Kingdom past a certain point, 99% of the time is just going to be taking your flying machine of choice and getting to where you need to go as quickly as possible. 
I can't say that that was that is reflective of my experience with the game, although I understand that it is reflective of yours. It's, Especially since I did this one first, the flying machines were definitely assistive, but I couldn't I didn't feel like I was skipping anything by using them. Oh, I didn't have a uh I didn't have a flying machine at this point in the game, to be clear. I don't think that I even tried to build one until after my second temple. I think the issue here this it's multi-part firstly perhaps tears of the kingdom brings it one step further than breath of the wild but breath of the wild was already a game where you could skip large swaths of it you could just skip all of the carefully crafted areas stories etc and just gun it for ganondorf sure and you could just warp everywhere rather than traversing on foot or by horse what i mean to say is that in breath of the wild you are made to interact with and respect your environment, even if only in that first pass. If it is raining, you cannot climb unless you find an overhang or you find another way around. You have to respect your environment. Tears of the Kingdom is fundamentally a game about removing the friction that you have when it comes to exploration. Why worry about how to climb up somewhere if you can just ascend through the fucking ceiling? Why worry about whether or not it's raining, if you can take potions that allow you to just climb in the rain. Why worry about how to navigate a canyon if you can fly over it? And I think that it's not necessarily a problem for every playthrough or every play style, but people who play these sorts of games do tend toward efficiency. The thing about that, though, is that you can play it your way. And definitely a few times... When I was going in the game, I thought I could just skip this by doing, by building a machine. I could just do that. Or that shrine where they push the little ball out of the socket uh, and you have to go and grab it all the way back to where you were to activate the, I don't know, elevator or whatever. I thought, oh, I could just use rewind on it, but I'm going to see what they set here for me. I'm going to play it out because... I like Zelda games. I have the time for it. I'm going to experience it in the conventional way, even though I've worked out a shortcut. How about you, Crystal? I would describe Breath of the Wild as a frustratingly frictionless game. The rain is the only time that I felt any friction at all, and that's why it stood out so much. Because most of the game, you just glide exactly where you need to go, no problem. And I think Tears of the Kingdom is actually designs its world around the powers a lot better. Because unless you have like six plus batteries, I really don't think you can meaningfully skip this segment with machines. And then even if you do, that's using your powers. That's playing the game. You built it specifically for that purpose. You're not really skipping it. Oh, I don't mean that it's about this segment in particular. I mean that in terms of in terms of how you interact with the overworld. I think that... The other thing to note here, though, is that we are all adult players who can reference the internet. And I know kids can too, but we're looking up optimal designs for flying machines and optimal ways to fight monsters. But think of, you know, the the 10-year-old, the 12-year-old entering into this game and their experience with it. Each time they think of a shortcut is 
is quite a monumental experience for them, a formative experience. But most of the time, they're probably just going to take the path that's been set out for them by the game. Oh, I don't mean to say that there's any objective uh, shortfall for the Tears of the Kingdom system compared to the Breath of the Wild system. I just mean to say that I prefer the limitations on movement in Breath of the Wild to the limitless movement of Tears of the Kingdom. There's a few cases where I think the Tears of the Kingdom movement being as limitless as it is is really great. I love going up to the King Gleok Islands in the sky, and that obviously wouldn't be possible without really pushing these systems in terms of what they can do. But there's just something about looking at a mountain and going, okay, to get up this mountain, I either need to find a footpath or I need to climb it. Yeah, and then you just climb it. Yes, but every every experience is its own, right? Like, you still find a path, and you experience that path. But in Tears of the Kingdom, in a lot of cases, and I know that this is down just to my experience, but that need to engage with the topography just isn't the same. You always have the option, and I often used the option, and I know that that's down to me and my playstyle, but... To reach the top of a mountain using a flying machine sort of makes all of it feel very samey. I'll never forget what it was like to get up the dueling peaks in Breath of the Wild. The ways that I walked along the uh, sloping outer edge from the uh, Hateno side and reached the top from there. But in Tears of the Kingdom, I don't actually remember how I got to the top. And I think that may have been because I flew, just as I did in many cases. Like, Hebra is probably burned into my memory forever in Breath of the Wild. But in Tears of the Kingdom, I can't remember if the melted mountain is still there. Well, a few things. Like, firstly, I think, again, this is a very personal experience, which valid. But the significance of individual points in Tears of the Kingdom are completely different from... Breath of the Wild. The Dueling Peaks, for instance, you would probably not encounter them immediately. They're not on your immediate path that you're told to go through. Um, and there's like so many different ways to go through and, and to get to the top of it. One of which is jumping down from Sky Islands, which are in the area. And your familiarity with it and your knowledge of it is all tied into its weight in Breath of the Wild. The Dealing Peaks don't really have much of a significance in, in Tears of the Kingdom. That's true. I just mean to say that as an experience, I have a lot of affection for a game where you have to respect the rain. And in Breath of the Wild too, you could get triple stamina wheels and Rivali scale, and that is a quick joke. I will also say that Rivali's Gale feels utterly transformative in Breath of the Wild. It wouldn't be anything in this game. It's a total shortcut. Right, I know. But one, it's limited. And two, again, it's transformative. It it changes the way you approach the entire rest of the game. How is that different from building a machine or using a send? Well, I mean, even with... No, I'm trying to understand. No, I know you're trying to understand. I'm just trying... I'm stepping back. One, we haven't let Crystal talk in like five minutes. Okay. Two... Um, I don't want to get to making this entire episode about how I prefer movement and Breath of the Wild. I did not actually look up the most efficient flying machines, nor did I even really build them that often. Because I I kind of thought it was annoying to build unless I ran out of other options. What so I was mostly machine? engaging with this on foot. 
What flying machine did you settle on? Uh, I usually just went with the the wing glider with a with a steering stick on it and some fans. Yeah, like, that was the first one that I built too. The fans on the side? No, the 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 wing glider. The oh, bird. maybe with a with some wheels under it so it can go over flat terrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after that, I ended up building what I found out later the community had also come up with independently and called the Goblin Glider, which is a steering stick between two fans. I think I also came up with that one. But then shortly after that, Cameron pointed out the next step optimal, which was the fans in front sort of staggered one higher than the back one. Did you ever build a Goblin Glider, Crystal? I never actually built a Goblin Glider. Okay. In that case, I was case, using the bird, the bird cart, the whole way through the game. In that case, I can see why your experience of it would have been very different from mine, especially given that the bird carts only last for like seventy seconds. Yes, they're also quite hard to achieve like lift on, if I remember right. Not if you have wheels under them. Anyway, it's a very good ascent to the Stormwind Dark. Crystal, what happens up on the Stormwind Dark? You have to activate the five fans. Why do you need to activate the fans? You gotta really open the hatch to the boss, right? Yes. There's a a hatch that's stuck in the center. Uh, Tulin sees Zelda for a second there again. But uh, why is Kolgara in the hatch? Why is Kolgara in the hatch? It doesn't fly away. Is it trapped there? Just trapped making a blizzard 24-7. It's the source of the cold that's frozen over the region. Yes. Do we think that it sort of trapped itself in there or Phantom Ganon trapped it in there so nobody could get to it? I don't think that it's trapped. Hmm. But it bursts out as soon as the door is open. Yes, because nothing would try to open it unless it was looking for a fight. So you think it's in its gaming den? Yes, it is gaming. (laughs) I never looked as to what is inside of the hatch. And I guess, is it closed off after you beat the boss? I don't know, but I have to assume so. You don't think it was trapped? No, I, I, I think. Then why it, does it leave as soon as the hatch opens? Because it is. I, I assume that it's like it serves two functions. Function one: produce cold. Function two: if something opens this door, kill it. Then the next question I suppose I have is: why is there a giant Colgara accommodating hatch on this ship? Yeah, why is there a giant Colgara accommodating hatch on this ship? I don't know. Like, what was this hatch originally made for? The storm wind. So it's supposed to be like a nice breeze. Yeah, it's literally a weather machine. Hmm. But pointed upwards. I guess you'd have to point upwards. Maybe it's the intake fan for producing the wind that the storm wind arc shoots out of the bottom. That makes sense. It's a big weather machine. And Colgara is clogging it up. Also, how can Colgara be trapped inside if it warps around with portals all the time? Oh, it warps with portals. Remember, Crystal, the portal into hell? Well, you can't summon the portal in there without portaling the whole ship. Is is that true? I don't think you could fit a portal in there without also taking some of the ship with you. How much do you think Colgara cares? Well, if it's, if it's in its gaming den, it doesn't want to ruin it. Well, if it's in its gaming den, it's not exactly trapped, is it? That's true. Is this the first portal monster that we've had for a while? Um, Phantom Ganon and Ocarina of Time. What other portal monsters have there been? No, it's it's definitely just Phantom Ganon, isn't it? 
Yeah, and Twin Rova? No. No? No. That's why they're such good friends. They both think with Portal. You think Phantom Ganon taught it the portaling? Well, I mean, it's a different entity. This isn't the same Phantom yeah. Ganon as an Ocarina of Time. True. I really like the Colgara boss fight. Best boss fight in the series. In the series? In the series, that's right. Make your argument. You have to dive straight into its big jewels, and you break them with your body, and you dive through them, and then you go back up to do it all over again. And then it makes a portal from hell to try to swallow you whole, but then you dodge it. It's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I think that as a set-piece boss, it is definitely the most spectacular set-piece boss that the series has ever had. The boss song is great. And I'm a little sad that in the depths, when you fight it again, you usually kill it too fast for the full song to go through. I will tell you a secret, Crystal. When I first fought Colgara, I didn't know that you could dive through its weak points. What did you do? I shot them with arrows. That's still pretty cool. It's definitely not as cool, though. I saw Monica do that shit and my mind exploded. (laughs) I didn't think that a puny arrow could break the ice and that I had to deploy bomb arrows or something. I assumed that could have done it, but I was short on bombs, and you know how I am with using resources, so... Monica will try anything before doing the obvious thing, if the obvious thing can run out. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that makes sense. What if you run out? Right, yeah. Completely, yes. So you kill Colgara alongside little Tulin Man, and when Colgara is defeated, you kind of see Zelda... Again, Phantom Ganon Zelda, but maybe actually an echo of the real Zelda? Yeah, Zelda's actions here aren't menacing. Um, I, I think because they had the Rito quest as the first quest that you... And they still did want to make it a little bit ambiguous. But she, yeah, she's just, just there and then goes away. Crystal, tell us about the sequence that happens after you defeat Colgara and save the day. The blizzard clears up, a heart piece falls from the sky, and the ice melts to reveal the secret stone of the ancient Sage of Wind. Tulum touches it and is transported to a mysterious realm where he communes with his ancient ancestor, who explains the same story that the Gerudo explains. (laughs) In nearly exactly the same words. Demon King? Secret stone? All the New Age sages do say that. They say that every time. Sacred Stone? Yeah. This is one aspect where I think that the storytelling in Breath of the Wild worked a little bit better, is that we didn't have to repeat these, because all the champions were just dead. They didn't have to repeat them. No, they didn't. Yeah, they really didn't, and the the Breath of the Wild, the champions didn't say the same things. No, they all said different things. They really should have had these guys say different things. Well, they sure fucking didn't, did they? They forgot. (laughs) They forgot. I... Wanted to note here something that I I realized, I think, mid-recordings, but didn't capture it in an actual podcast previously, which is they did actually model 2.5 of the ancient sages' heads under those masks. They modeled the Grudo. Did I mention this already? I'm forgetting. You definitely mentioned it in line, but I don't think you mentioned it on the podcast. She has neon green lipstick uh, the Zora Sage is also modeled out, and I think parts of the Rita one is. The Goran's head is just the helmet, so. Yeah. That makes sense. He didn't get modeled. How come they didn't show their faces? Because they weren't characters, they were just the ancient sages. 
Yeah, that's kind of sad. Why couldn't, why couldn't they be characters? I don't know what you're asking. Why couldn't they make the ancient sages characters with faces and names and personality? Because they didn't matter. The only people that mattered in that era were Raru, Mineru, and Sonya. They matter in the sense that they give a lot of screen time. Yeah, getting their asses whipped. They won't but matter they're... until Hyrule Warriors 3, Age of Calamity 2, Age of the Demon King. You were saying, Crystal? It just feels unfinished to me. It feels like they they were meant to have faces, but then they could didn't have time. I think that not having time isn't a thing that happened with this game. That happens with all games. I, I think... I think they took a year to polish this game, and the game that we're looking at, there were definitely compromises made, but this is the vision that the designers, like, had. They just didn't see these characters as needing that space in the story. It would be too much cutscene. Oh, it would be too much cutscene? Yeah, too much cutscene. But it wouldn't be too much cutscene to play the same cutscene four times. No, no, that's fine. That's conservation of cutscenes. Oh, no. Oh, what, I know what you want, Crystal. What you want, what you want. Tell me if I've got this. Tell me if i got this. Uh-huh. What you want is a sequence where each sage says just a little bit about how they relate to the current sage that's related to how they relate to their own people and the conflict at hand, and then they take off their helmets and hand it over to the new sage. Yeah, that'd be sick. That's really cool. Yeah, okay, that'd be pretty fucking good, actually. <laughs> but I guess I guess it was their intended vision all along, six years ago, when they wrote the first design document for this game. We're going to play the same cutscene four times. Now, in fairness, they have to make far fewer, um, far fewer models, and they can they don't have to do nearly as complicated as cutscene direction if they do it this way. So this is a shortcut, like how in Mario Galaxy. Because you need to read a note on the door, they just stick a sign past the door that you're actually reading. Yes, 100%. 1,000%. This is what they intended. Just because it's unideal doesn't mean that it's compromised. Sometimes people who make shit make the wrong call. Being able I to find it difficult to believe that this could be the results of having enough time and choosing to do it this way. They wanted to take a holiday, Crystal. They wanted to go and see their families uh, <laughs> after seven days at the office, which apparently is just a thing sometimes. Hopefully not at Nintendo much, but if it allowed some model or person or whatnot to take a break, then I'm okay with it. It's not ideal for me, but it's all right. Well, sure, it'd be all right if that was the hypothetical situation was the case, but we don't know that. And in fact, I'd say it probably wasn't the case. What do you think happened, Crystal? I think they didn't have time. You think they didn't have time while they were just polishing the game up for a year? Yeah, you you can't change the cutscenes while you're polishing. Why not? Because that's a completely different production process. Weren't all of the, like, these sequences are pre-rendered, right? Yes, I think so. Yes. I mean, if... If they're pre-rendered, they shouldn't be fucking with any of... Like, they shouldn't introduce new glitches if you put a new fucking video file in there. Yeah, but that means you need to pay someone to re-render them. All those people are on salary. They're not... They're they're getting paid anyway. Are they pre-rendered, though? I I guess I need to understand the definition of pre-rendered. I don't actually know that all of these cutscenes are pre-rendered. They are they are full motion video, but I'm I'm fairly sure they are rendered in engine. Yeah, because one of the things that we learn from people who uh, clip out the camera out of bounds is that 
all of these cutscenes are staged with the models, right? They and oftentimes they pop into one area and then pop into another one. And if you wear different outfits, that's affected too. That's true. That's true. So it's not a it's not a FMV. A CG. CG. <laughs> Are these terms still used? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, FMV nowadays means thing means something more like um, a videotape of something, whereas what we called FMV back in the '90s would be CG now. Oh. Hmm. The point is, even if they spent a year polishing the game, polishing means that the game is feature complete. You are not changing any any of the content in the game. You're just fixing bugs. I can see. Uh... Fujibayashi or Onoma or someone else on high going, yeah, polishing is just gameplay. Don't make anything explode. And uh, story? What do you mean story? So Crystal, you would suggest that if they'd had another year in the oven, they would have done the super cool handing over the helmet thing. I don't know if they'd do that specific thing, but I think these cutscenes might be a little more robust. Yes. Hmm. I don't know if that lines up. Maybe if they were working with Koei Tecmo or something, but that just isn't how Nintendo's ever handled their cutscenes. I mean, really, it, from what we know about the production process, they, this is probably one of the last things they made. You make this and then goodbye. We're in polish mode. That is also very possible. Yeah, that's very possible. <laughs> I won't lie. I, I think it's particularly jarring because there hasn't really been any other cutscenes or pivotal sequences in Zelda games that have just reused that template so thoroughly like when you beat the giants in in majora's mask there's different dialogue yeah i still think it was a design choice that was made specifically so they didn't have to do as much work you know they wouldn't even need to change any of the animations just the text boxes just change up the text boxes a bit that'd be enough you know what the actual issue is or was what Voice acting. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's mm. that's super true. One, that, that, that's the real bane of voice acting on a game like this one, and that once the voices are recorded, you're done. If it's just text, they can text change shit up until it goes gold. But when you're relying on recordings... There should not be voice acting in Zelda. There should not be voice acting in Zelda. How do you feel about that one, Crystal? What about Animal Crossing voice acting? That's fine. That's you know that's not the kind of voice acting we mean. <laughs> okay. What about live action Zelda? There's not going to be a live Whoa. action Zelda. Wouldn't it be cool if there was an FMV where there was a guy in a Link <laughs> costume? I like how you're losing your shit just trying to say, "Wouldn't it be cool?" Or I FMV. mean, wouldn't that be cool if there's an FMV Zelda? No, they did no? that already, and it sucked ass. <laughs> but it wasn't live action. Actually, the cutscenes in, um, oh, which one was it? Zelda's Adventure? Yeah, it might be that one. Those were definitely live action. Okay. Rotoscoped? No, not just rotoscoped. They filmed actors oh. on set. Huh. It was a nightmare. I don't want a Zelda movie starring Chris Pratt. Who would you cast as Link? Don't do this. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. What? <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> Who would you cast, Crystal? <laughs> Uh, if we're talking animated film voice actor, Steve Blum. (laughs) Crystal? (laughs) But he only does, he doesn't speak words, he just goes, yeah, yeah. Crystal, I'm (laughs) going to ask you to not take the piss for a second. Okay. 
you got the, when when Monica said Timothy Chalamet, it sounded off the cuff, but she had been holding that to her chest for no, a while. No, she was <laughs> that being, was more of a shit take. She was being very vulnerable. No, and I need you to be honest in the same way. I mean, Ma- here's the thing: if we're talking a voice acted link in a film, I would want him to just go yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, don't don't make a talking link. I mean, he talks in the games. Yes, through text. Yes, I'll tell you what I would want. I would want a Zelda game or Zelda movie or Zelda TV series as close as we could get it. That would be sort of like uh, Gennady Tartakovsky's Primal with no spoken dialogue. Just ya ya. You got to go all in on the visual storytelling. Zelda doesn't talk. Ganon doesn't talk. Nobody fucking talks. Maybe that's a bit too far. I could see it. Ganon's got to talk. No, No. he doesn't. No more Matt Mercer Ganon. Matt Mercer... I'm sure he's a great guy. He's done plenty of great work in the past. He doesn't need to be Ganondorf. Nobody needs to be Ganondorf. He seems just so much doofier when he's got voice lines. That's just because Matt Mercer is a bad voice actor. <gasps> is he? What, what other roles has Matt Mercer done? I, I know guess... he's gone critical role. I don't know anything about that. I, I can't blame Mercer because I play this in Japanese. And even though I couldn't quite understand it, it was still a little bit awkward he's uh kanji and persona 4 during uh, the second half of the anime yeah not that's not the better that's not the better kanji actually now that i think yeah. of it. um he's the english voice of jotaro apparently not a great voice i don't know i've never watched it he's espio the chameleon oh that's a good role wait he plays god in fruits basket uh-huh i don't know he's no steve blum i mean uh hold on Video games. Here we go. This this is where he's at. He was um fucking Alvin in Tales of Exilia. He was Crom in Fire Emblem Awakening. Yeah, I liked Crom. He he was the bad version of Leon Kennedy in Resident Evil Six. Look, so you you're, you're telling me he's kind of like the Ryu of voice actors. I mean, I I I I I don't know what that means. He plays guys like Crom. When you need a guy like Crom whose voice is like fine but not that exciting. This is who you hire. How do you feel about that characterization, Monica? Crom as fine, but not that exciting. Um, it was a workable voice. It's your husband. Yeah, very workable for that role. <laughs> I'm seeming so lecherous in this episode. Uh, you know, like, I like the boring stalwart guys, so. Oh, he's Yusuke in Persona 5. I, I didn't care for that voice performance. Um, he's... Minsk and Baldur's Gate 3. I haven't played that yet, though. And Gan- Ganondorf. He's Gan... He's Gan- um. It's a weird choice for Ganondorf compared to the rest of the characters that he's played before. Not to say that actors can only play one type, but I don't know. Oh, he's Jeff Keighley in Death Stranding. Are you fucking... <laughs> are you fucking with me? the Ludens fan whose face is based on Jeff Keighley. I'm going to go insane. I'm going to become the Joker. Um, uh, I... Generally, when there are problems, like, we hear Matt Mercer's Ganondorf and we go, that's not how Ganondorf should be talking, right? We, we all agree we do that. Uh-huh. Generally, when things like that come up, my first instinct is to go, ah, that is a problem of direction, not a fault of the actor. Because I'm sure that the, the, the voice of Zelda, who is to the best of my knowledge, an American woman without an English accent is a perfectly fine actor, but they're directing her in a very um, 
I, I would I, I would call it a a um, unoptimized way. So you would blame Sidon. What? The voice actor for Sidon was the voice director. <laughs> At least in Breath of the Wild, I'm checking if that's the case for Tears of the Kingdom. Son of a bitch. I don't know. Should I blame Sidon? <laughs> no. What were we talking about? <laughs> I don't think he was for Tears of the Kingdom, actually. Okay. Are we done with the Rito Village? We saved the day in Birdtown. We saved Birdtown. All the adults, well, they're still out. There's still the food problem. So a lot of them are still out gathering supplies. But, you know, a lot of them come back, too. Uh, Teba acknowledges his son and grants him the Great Eagle Bow. But don't worry, you can get one, too. <laughs> Cameron, you just narrowed your eyes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know that I... we. I wanted to. I'm stuck between we keep comparing this, but really it's me. I'm the one who keeps comparing this to Breath of the Wild, this game to Breath of the Wild. But one of the things that made the champion weapons work in Breath of the Wild is that there could only ever be one of them at a time, right? Yes. The soul of those weapons lived on regardless of them having to be remade or not. There was always only ever one of them. Mm-hmm. But in this game, uh, Crystal, did you ever talk to that Gorin swordsmith who talks about the soul of a blade and how there can't be more than one boulder breaker at a time because its soul inhabits one weapon? That's right. Remind me, what 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 weapon is Unibo carrying? He's uh, carrying the boulder breaker. And what weapon does this guy make for you? He makes a boulder breaker. How many boulder breakers does that make? Uh, that's one boulder breaker. <laughs> one soul, two blades. So sort of like Xenoblade Chronicles 3. <laughs> Regular brain, Breath of the Wild didn't happen. Blossoming galactic lotus brain, the sages aren't real. How many swords of the seven are there? Scimitar the seven? Scimitar. There's three of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Link and the sages are connected through their bond, right? So the soul can kind of transfer through Wi-Fi into two blades. (laughs) What? But... Sorry, Crystal, are they occupying the sword only one at a time? It, there's one soul, but it is distributed <laughs> between two objects. So 50% of the soul is in this one. Or 33.33 on the part of the scimitar. It's, it's like, okay, let's, let's say you have two bowls of cereal, right? <laughs> and you have one glass of milk. Uh-huh. If you pour half of the glass into each bowl, how many glasses of milk did you use? One. One. There you go. That's not enough milk, Crystal. I need more milk for my Sizz Straight Boy cereal. I feel like I'm always using too much milk in my cereal. I got too much left over. Well, that's when you put in just a little bit extra cereal. Right, but I feel like I could, I could rash. If I used half as much milk, it'd probably be fine. Have you ever tried to go with less milk than you need, though? Yeah. It's, it's disastrous. Fine. Have you... Do you add the milk to the bowl first so you know how much milk you're using? What? No, I add the cereal first. What the fuck did you just say, Monica? <laughs> you could add the milk to the bowl first so you know how much milk you're having and then you add the cereal. You know that sequence in Get Out where the white girl is like eating fucking cereal from the bowl with her fingers and then washing it down with milk? Uh-huh. Is, this, is that descriptive? No, I don't really do that. I think I've done it a few times, but... <laughs> I don't consistently do this. That's horrifying. Okay. Here, let me, no, no, no. Let me, let me link you an image. Please. Because okay. I saw this device recently and I, I was fascinated. Not fascinated enough to purchase it. Fascinated enough to remember it. 
you could please describe to the listeners what you're looking at here. I am looking at a two-layered thermos uh, see-through called the Crunch Cup, where the center layer is a cylinder full of what looks like Honey Nut Cheerios, and the outer layer is full of milk. Crystal, how does this work? Well, I believe that if you tilt it to drink it, the cereal and the milk will come out of separate holes and then mix together in just the right ratio to make the perfect cereal to milk ratio in your mouth. They are disrupting breakfast cereal. Yes. I don't think this is going to work out well. The milk is on the bottom when you tilt it, so it's going to come out fast. And only a couple of cereal bits are going to come out. So you think it would work better with the milk in the center? Yeah. I mean, I'm not the designer of... I I mean, the problem with that is that there's different sizes of cereal, so it would get stuck on this if it was on the outer rim. Crystal, just so our listeners don't think I was making shit up out of nowhere, could you describe the Sizz Het Boy cereal eating method? Oh, yeah, let me pull up the tweet I made. (laughs) I need context. It seems like you really took this one to heart. It was very fucking funny is the thing. Like, it was hilarious to me. It was oh, a you. it was the big top burger of cereal tweets. All right, here we go. The way cis straight men eat cereal is infinitely fascinating. They pour it into a bowl and then they pour milk over it. Then they eat the milk soaked cereal with a spoon. It's unbelievable. <laughs> the big top burger analogy is apt because I'm I'm a bit confused. <laughs> I'm also a little confused. <laughs> See, this is what made me think about adding the milk first. <laughs> and and is that done? And I think it could work. And the, the cereal is just as crispy if you add it second. That's true. Especially if you, like, push it into the milk. Yeah. It could be extra crispy. I kind of do that when I finish off my extra milk by adding more cereal. Yeah. 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 And do you enjoy the second part? Oh, of I love it. Yeah. It's so, so tasty. So maybe you should try that. <laughs> I should stop having cis-het cereal. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That tweet was just very funny to me. Much like Big Top Burger. Yes. The point which... is, the, the Boulder Breaker has one soul. God damn it. The 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 guy tells you there can only be one boulder breaker at a time and he can't make you another one unless it is lost or shattered. I really would be okay with them just not giving you the weapons for this game. It's going off to the sages, the descendants of the champions. That's fine. Yeah, I agree with that. What do you think, Crystal? I think they should only give you one. Oh, you got to pick one. That's right. Who's your favorite? you got to pick one who's your favorite, and that sage gives it to you as a symbol of the depths of your bond. That's right. It's the the only level three bond you get in the whole game, and it's this super special weapon. Wow. Don't break it. That'd be amazing. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I think I misunderstood. Are you saying you only get one ever and it can't be remade? That's right. Because I thought you meant that you could only choose from one of the four weapons. Both of that. Both things. Wow. Well, that's one that you put up in your house. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Though I am also for the idea that you just don't get any of the sage's weapons. Maybe a halfway point to this is like each of the sages 
keeps their weapon, their champion weapon, which is actually a sage weapon, I guess. But you can speak to them, and then they will go, hey, yeah, this sword slash bow or whatever is pretty cool, huh? Do you want to use it for a time? You can only choose one to use per time. But then if you do so, then it's yours for the moment. What if instead of giving you the sage's weapon... By the way, since you brought it up, yeah, I hate that this is now like... Instead of being champions' weapons that were particular to each champion, where it's kind of implied that they made them themselves and it's very unique to them, then instead it's something that's been passed down through their bloodlines for a million billion years... Yeah, and clearly, like, it's got some zoni in it too because they don't corrupt. I hate that shit. It's 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 not good. But um, where was I going? What if instead of getting the sages weapons, they just made you a special, like, really, really out there link version of the weapons? New weapon. So yeah, you get a unique weapon for you. It's like the boulder breaker, but even biggerer. Or it's a boulder breaker that automatically has a rock at the end of it. It's a boulder breaker, cool. but it's got a Zonai rocket on it, so you punch a little bit harder when it comes down, like the Pokemon or the or the great the rocket powered great sword from Monster Hunter. You were saying, Crystal? I was just saying that these are all good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I it's like Sidon presents you with a spear that was originally meant to be a what like it was commissioned by Dorfan originally meant to be a wedding gift. A hundred years ago. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. You knew where this was going to go. I'm yeah. only, I'm a simple creature. I'm a I am like that idea. Thank you. What's our third place that we're going to? What Would is you the rather second? go to Goron or Zora? I think it, you are guided towards the Gorons next, right? Yes. Yes. That's correct. Uh, how are we doing for time? We're doing okay. Yeah, for we're time. only an hour and a half in. There are some things around the area we could talk about, like the Lucky Clover, I guess. Okay, hit us with the lucky clover. Uh, Tracy from the rumor mill and her sisters have duped, or at least uh, very, very lowballed this stable owner out of his stable. They conned the man. She insists it's not a con, but... The stable owner is like, yeah, I was conned. He seems okay with it. He's still there. He is not okay with it. Crystal, what do you think? It kind of seems like he was conned and he's not okay with it. <laughs> He's there and then feeling out of sorts and setting fire to the newspapers with his pine cones and shit and telling you not to do it, telling you to do it. And I really like how they use the entire space of the stable cut in half for a newspaper. Um, the back room has the publishing and the old editions of the rumor mill. Tracy's in the front with a working map with all of the key stables circled on it. I used it to confirm the locations for myself. Um, and she, when you arrive, greets you and knows about your mission to find Zelda. Pura has tasked the newspaper to publish sightings or ask for sightings and assigns you your, your, uh, your partner, Pen, to, to write these stories. But he won't know who you are. What's the deal with this Pen guy? He's kind of the new Cass. Why, why doesn't he show his face? He does sometimes. Not very much, but he's got little oh, tiny... Oh, that's right. He has little eyes. Yeah, he's got real beady <laughs> little eyes. It's very cute, actually. Before you get there, he's always surrounded by a lot of birds like Groose. Yes. And he... The first time you hear him talk about how his little birdies 
were telling him about the goings on in a certain place, you're like, oh, he's listening to his sources. And then about the second or third time, I was like, wait, he's talking about the actual little birds that are around him constantly. Pen, Pen can talk to birds. Can Can Rito talk to birds? Well, Pen can. Crystal, can Rito talk to birds? I don't think most Rito can talk to birds, but but Pen is a very special Rito. We know that Rito generally prefer to eat fish and poultry. If if they could talk to birds, I feel like their <laughs> desire for poultry would be a bit more problematic. Now, Pen is a pelican. You can expect almost anything from him because anything he can fit into his mouth, he will swallow. Oh, he's a pelican. <laughs> Hold on. Crystal, what bird did you think Pen was? I thought he was a pelican. Monica, what did you think Pen was? I didn't have a clear idea, but I think I th- somehow thought stork. I mean, that's not... Su- it's, it's a pelican. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. I liked how he went... When flying off. I don't know why Tracy didn't want to tell Pen that Link was Link. Well, I don't know either. What did you think, Crystal? Uh, Zelda told everyone to keep it cool with Link. Don't go blabbing about who Link is. Be careful around him. He's got anxiety. Just treat him like a fellow person. Yeah, I guess so. What if Penn is a shoebill? He is not a shoebill. Oh. His beak's not that big. A shoebill stork be looking like this. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I thought. No, he, he's got that soft underpart on uh, his bill. That, okay. that, that's, that's... I liked him and his cluelessness. I guess Tracy doesn't tell him who Link is so that he can naively think that you're a beginner journalist. What do you think of Penn, Crystal, as the bird connoisseur? He reminds me of Launchpad McQuack. That's who I kept thinking of. Oh my god, he is a lot like Launchpad. Who? Do you ever see Tailspin? Life is like a hurricane. Oh, he is also in um, DuckTales. Oh, I got the songs mixed up. I guess the next line would have told Wait, me. Is he in DuckTales? Yeah, he's in DuckTales. Okay. He's got the same goggles as Penn, and he's got a hat. Oh, yeah, this guy. Is he a pelican? I mean, I think he's supposed to be a duck like everyone else in DuckTales. Pelicans are a kind of a duck. I I accept this from you, Crystal, but only because you are an expert on the avian. How closely what's the what's the duck family? Duck, our family, and that today. Yeah, no, they're completely different orders. Oh, they're not really closely related at all. Well, I mean, they're both dinosaurs, so they can't be that far apart. Yeah, that's true. Um, this is the second stable that has collapsed, which makes me a bit concerned about the the existence of stables in Hyrule. Is it because it seems like they're becoming less necessary? Yeah. As towns become more, for lack of a better word, stable? I guess that's why. Unless we think that stables just come and go according to the roots that are formed and new roots had to be formed. What do you make of the downfall of the stables, Crystal? It does just seem like they're slowly being phased out. Not rapidly, just as you said, they're becoming less necessary. Like there's so-called mini stables in a a couple of places, but yeah, there's no full-fledged stable culture. Wait, of course he's a duck. His name is McQuack. Oh. Uh, maybe he married a he, duck. He's a, he's a duck with a very strong chin. Ain't you ever seen a duck with a cleft chin before? I'm sorry. Can we go to the Gorin Town or do we need to talk more about stables and the thing? I think they really meant to put in a, a DLC point where cats would be. Yes, that was undoubtedly on the design docket at some point. We can go to Gorin Town. Crystal, is Cass's absence the biggest reason you think the DLC is coming? 
No, I think the biggest reason the DLC is coming is that they would like to make some money from selling the DLC. That would make good sense. What if the next Hyrule Warriors oh, is God. just the actual uh, DLC contents? So would it be completely separated from Age of Calamity? Yes. Oh. Boo! You are guided by Cass and do something, I don't know. But Cass is an expert in the Calamity, and the Calamity New is... New studies. Oh. Crystal, what did you make of the fact that um, Unibo is peddling street rock? We're not there yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. What are we talking about? This is the Rito episode. The, wait, you want to do? You want us to hold off on talking about the Gorons until next we episode? We have time for all the Goron stuff. Okay, you know what? I guess that's fair. Well, um, okay. Shall we continue on for a little longer with ancillary stuff? Maybe talk about Hateno Village or something and then transition into emails? Let's do emails. You just want to go right to emails? Yeah, let's make this a shorter episode. You know what? The Rito, they kind of got short shrift in both games. Really? How do you figure? Hello? How do you figure they got the short shrift in this game? Um, there's not that much to their story. The dungeon is pretty good, but the story is just the baby bird is arrogance. You help him get his bow... Then you help him beat the boss, and now he's less arrogant. He learns about the importance of teamwork and friendship, which, actually, this is the part we didn't touch on. Hearth mentions that Tulin's dad, Teba, says that once Tulin learns uh, to work with others, he will be the greatest Rito warrior ever. Or at least on his way. Teba's trying to give his son a big head. (laughs) I think... I think it's true, though, because once he learns the power of friendship and teamwork, he will have exceeded Rivali. Exactly. Let's get to you. Rivali never learned the power of teamwork and friendship, Cameron. Until Age of Calamity. Yes. But that is. But then he forgot. He just forgot in Age of Calamity? That's right. How did he forget? What are you talking Um, about? In the year, right, he did not forget. I was mixing him up with Teba. Oh. Oh. Okay. Look we've held for a while now that Age of Calamity is basically canon, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And do we still hold to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are the characters, the the oh. modern-day champions in Age of Calamity the same characters from Breath of the Wild? Yeah, but they forgot. They for, What if... So you would say that it happened, but they don't remember it happening. That's right. Monica, how about you? I, can, I think that it could have happened... And they still remember, too. Is it possible that they remember Crystal? Now, they do not reference it, is the thing. That was an adventure like five years ago. Six. I guess Breath of the Wild and Age and Calamity have a similar amount of textual support for happening. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I I could allow... They, oh, let me rephrase my statement. The characters remember the events of Age of Calamity and Breath of the Wild equally. I could make an allowance for them remembering but not talking about it because Sidon, Unibo, Riju, and um, Teba slash uh, Tulin, they could not talk to anyone around them about what had happened. They would just seem as if they had been having delusions the entire time. Yes, because it's a completely separate Lincoln Zelda. Yes. Or, you know. If you talk to Link about what happened, he'd be like, huh? Yeah, but he'd say that no matter what. True. <laughs> so, Monica, you imagine that they're just carrying around this secret knowledge, and it's a big part of why they've 
grown so much in the interceding years. Sure, yeah. I, I think it could work. I feel like that's possible, but also Tears of the Kingdom wasn't written to be uh, canonical with Age of Calamity. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Crystal, what order should we do the email readings in? I've got six of them for this one because we keep getting more emails. What order? Yeah, like uh, between the three of us, what should the order be? Oh, you read the first, and then I'll read the second, and Monica reads it. Okay. Now, this first email is from Primmy, and it's very full, so I had to cut it down quite a bit. Where can we send emails first? Oh, yes, that's true. If you want to send in an email to be read on the podcast, God help me, Crystal has guaranteed that if you send in an email, it will be read in some capacity, so it's not full of awful shit. You can send them to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. Once more, bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. We do love getting emails. We love it. I love it. I like the transition from the collective first person to the singular first person there. Okay. That's right. I'm selfish. <laughs> No, you're asserting because we are we are talking through the expanse of, of space and I can't see your expression. From from Primmy. Hello, mischievous girl, nice girl, and exasperated Jimmy Stewart. That is I'm not familiar with Jimmy Stewart's acting, but all right. Am I I'm mischievous girl or is Crystal? Which title would you like? I'm nice. Okay, I'll be mischievous. It's true. All right. Uh- <laughs> Okay, longtime fan of the show and follower of the Twitters. Fair warning: this might very, this might run very long. It did. So I've got uh, a couple of unedited paragraphs in here, but the rest of it I had to ch- truncate. Unedited goes. So having experienced much of the lore and thought a good bit about it, I'd like to throw up a theory concerning the timeline of Zonai involvement in Hyrule. When thinking about historical events, I tend to assume simple material circumstances colliding with complex human motivations. My theory runs off a few starting assumptions. And this is where I start truncating. Assumption 1. Zonai are from the Earth's surface and are fundamentally draconic. They ascend to live in the heavens and come back down sometimes. Mm. Corollary being, uh, amongst other corollaries, it's assumed that Zonai have different elemental powers, such as time, light, fire, thunder. Assumption 2. The depths are just like that, without any Zonai interference, and the Zonai go down into them to mine, but they did not make the depths. Assumption three, there is no Zonai age, no age of legends, but rather there are separate instances of individual or small groups of Zonai coming to the ground. So Mineru and Raru are actually pretty normal as that goes. Are everybody with me so far? Mm-hmm. How about you, Crystal? Okay. You feeling good about all these assumptions? Mm-hmm. The theory goes that Zonai train in their youth, such as at the diving islands, to descend to the surface and work their way back up, which is the actual coming of age. They do this by using their own power, scavenging resources and building a vehicle, elevating the indigenous population, or becoming a dragon. When elevating the indigenous population, they tend to pick one tribe and elevate them into a place of cultural supremacy, while ceding their own elemental power by marrying into that population. For instance, the prior form of Farosh may have married into the Gerudo, giving the Gerudo lightning powers. And a similar thing could have happened with say, the Gorons and their fire powers, or the Rito with wind powers. In summary, Raru and Mineru are basically going through their own rising. Raru is seeding his light powers into the Hylians, and Ganondorf is mad because the previous age was one of Gerudo's supremacy and he missed it by a few decades. How do we feel about all this? 
I'm going to admit, and I know this is very much playing to type for me, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of all the elemental magic of all the different people just coming from the Zonai. The thing is that the place where we see a lot of lightning dragon imagery is in Theron, not in Gerudo. That is actually brought up in the email. The The suggestion that Primi has is that the previous Gerudo Empire could have extended all the way into Faron. But there's no Gerudo stuff in Faron. That's very true. Hmm. I think I like the concept of the Zonai intermittently coming down as, let's say, young adults. Sure. And having to, because they're, they're adults, they've done the diving ceremonies. But uh, having to make their way up through different different means. Um, however, one thing I'd like to think about is Raru really intends, it seems, to stay there, and Mineru too. So if there, even if there are times where different Zonai are tasked to go down and back up, I feel like he's a little bit different and transgressive, and he's like, nope, this is home. I'm going to build an empire. Crystal? So how does elevating the indigenous population get them up? Because I guess the uh, the they kind of did that with the Rito, maybe. Yeah, the but I, it, it didn't take that long. The idea is that by they would seed knowledge and information and magic that would allow the indigenous peoples to return them to the sky. But if we take the actual legend of the Stormwind Arc, good that we covered it in this one. Uh, the Rito tried to just carry the Zonai up. It didn't work. Then the Zonai's like, bring me a bunch of junk and uh, auto-build. Here are our ships. Which doesn't strike me as following that pattern. Crystal, is there anything like this in the Elder Scrolls or Assassin's Creed or something? Because it feels like there might be. Um, there no, no, not really. I guess in the Elder Scrolls, no, not really. Okay. Because I, 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 again, I'm very much playing to type here, but I just don't very much like the idea of the advancements of different cultures and peoples being chalked up to alien interference. There is something of a loss of um, cultural agency. agency yeah. um, and also, it would be hard to marry into the Goran. Yes, since they're just born of rocks. Literally, yes. I just don't like the idea that aliens built the pyramids, I guess. <laughs> like... There's a there's a bunch of ideas in there. Yeah. No, some people worked hard and mathed that shit. Yeah. I like the idea of them having to work their way back up as their true coming of age ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very evocative idea. But ele- elevating the population seems like a very inefficient way to do that. Also, so messy. You're you're starting some real shit if you're doing that. I think the Primi is on to something in the sense that the Zonai do seem to continue coming down for yes. a while. Yes, and it's important that they do um, for the ancient hero as well, who makes a great deal of things. Also, I mean, Draconification's not a valid route back up. It's like a very shunned practice. True. As far as we can tell. It's an interesting theory. Yes, it is a very well-realized theory. I like... A number of different components of it. So thank you for sharing it with us, Primi. Who's doing thank the you. Who's thank doing you. the second email? Crystal is. Dear Book of Medora crew. Hey guys, I've been listening since near the end of the Skyward Sword episode, and I finally work up the courage to send in a few short questions. 
The first question is one I had since I saw the trailers for Tears of the King. Did the monsters always have those awesome horns in the canon of Breath of the Wild? Or is Ganon responsible for the evolution of the monsters? What do you think? I think that these monsters are born of a different source of darkness compared to the ones in Breath of the Wild. So they are different, and it's Ganondorf's responsibility. I would agree with that, uh, especially if a, it was a consistent technique of his to break or corrode the weapons of other people's leaving the only source of weapon harvesting uh, from monsters that would be at his beck and call. What do you think? That makes sense to me. Okay. Sterling continues. I have two smaller questions that aren't really important, but I'll include them anyway. First one, Cece hat, fabulous or gaudy? I personally love it. I love it. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. I wish there was- It's a wonderful hat. I wish that there was more of an outfit to go with it, honestly. I want a full mushroom outfit. Yeah. Finally, I heard a theory that I don't really believe in, but you might like it. The theory is that the aspect of the hero is depicting the ancient hero in the mural of Breath of the Wild. I'm not sure about it, but it sounds cool that Azonai could have the spirit of the hero. You guys are my favorite podcast of all time, and I hope that this makes it into one of the 27.5 Tears of the Kingdom episodes. Love, Sterling. Thank you, Sterling. That's a good guess as to how many episodes there will be. I, I, I Thank you, Sterling. I agree that... No, I actually do think it's depicting the ancient hero in the mural. I think that's that's very much the intent. That's why they say the ancient hero. It's why Impa compares you to the mural. It's just there. Yep. I think that's pretty canonical. That's textual. Crystal? Yeah. Okay. Which does mean that canonically there are... Anyone can be Link. Or Link can be anyone. You can be Link if you want to. You could be Link. You can leave your friends behind. Crystal, how old is that fucking song? Like, uh, uh, 50 or 70 years old. <laughs> what what song is this? <laughs> I think it's... The uh, Safety Dance? Yeah, The Safety Dance. I don't know it. Oh, you do. You don't know it off the top of your head, but you've heard it. You can dance if you want to. You can leave oh, your friends behind. okay. Yes. It's 41 years old. Oh my god, is that only from 1982? Jesus, I thought it was older than that. Oh, by Canadians. Sure is. Oh, men without hats. Monica, you're up for the third email. Okay. Abridged from Jamie. Uh, Jamie heard more of a previous episode and decided they should weigh in. Great. That's what we ask for. Near the end of the first Tears of the Kingdom episode, you all discussed the location of the Triforce after Zelda was shunted back in time after Gandorf's awakening at the start of Tears of the Kingdom. Whether it went back in time with her and whether that meant that there were now two instances of the Triforce in one time. I would contend that as the Triforce is known to be some sort of advanced supercomputer, that this is impossible because it is in fact an example of a specific computer programming idiom known as the singleton. Jamie, this is so exciting. Oh, yeah. That you are, yeah. A singleton is a class, basically an object, a thing that is imbued with different properties and generally with different actions it can undertake that can only be created once in a program. The basic mechanics of this is that the code used to create the class, known as an initializer, exists within the class and is inaccessible from outside of it. So the only code that can create the class in itself is in itself, and it does so such as there is only ever one instance of the class and shares that with the rest of the program. 
Therefore, I propose that this is exactly what the Triforce is. If there is ever more than one Triforce existing in one time, one of them is simply marked for deletion, and then whatever stands in for entropy in the Zelda universe eradicates it, because there can only ever be one. This does not necessarily mean that the entity who had the new Triforce loses it, though, because again, the Triforce isn't being deleted or removed from inventory, just that superfluous Triforce instance. So yes, I am saying that theoretically, more than one entity can have the Triforce at a time, and I know that causes headaches, but that is beyond the scope of this email. Um, and uh, Cameron, you've abridged this to, this could further be true on multiple timelines and explain timeline convergences. More, it makes sense for Zelda games to diegetically be video games and for the logic to work this way. Was that an observation by Jamie? Or? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, anyway, I felt this was an idea that was too good not to share. Let's hope for all our sakes that your next episode doesn't touch upon yet another one of my areas of expertise. Thank you again, Jamie. Jamie goes by they or she. Jamie, this is so exciting. Please explain. I think that this idea is basically accurate for what we see in the Ocarina of Time games. However, there is a complication in A Link Between Worlds. Because there are two Triforces. Not only are there two Triforces, but you can, in fact, wish on the Triforce for another Triforce. Hmm. That is true. I, I think it's interesting thinking of it from a programming sense, because... Yeah, because it is a, a giant piece of technology or or code. I guess it could be code that overwrites the code of the world. Can, I guess this is a question for coders or programmers, can a singleton effectively create another class like it, which is not itself, in which the initializer for that class is within that other singleton? That's a great question that I don't even understand you asking. I don't understand the question itself. So if anybody listening has opinions on this, please feel free to write in. Well, I mean, the first question would be, can code have two singletons within it? I always assume that the Triforce was like the chip that the game is printed on. I Yeah. Like it's the circuit board itself in the NES version of The Legend of Zelda. It was conceived to be a microchip. How do you conceive of it diegetically, Crystal? Whether, is it the chip of the NES card, or is it the chip of the NES? I don't know. But I think we could also read it as an add-on chip, writing or interfacing with the rest of the world. Is the Lorulian Triforce the chip of the bottom half of the DS? <laughs> that's why it's upside down. Oh, that would make sense, actually. Yeah, that's, what, that's, how, that's why they did it like that. Yeah, 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 okay. So it's the it's the it's the hinge. Oh my god. That is why they did it like that. So that they yeah. can show the final cutscene with two triforces each on a separate screen. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Crystal. I'm going yeah. Yeah, absolutely. At least in that but instance. Then how how do you explain on the 2DS where it's actually all one screen? Is it all actually one screen on the 2DS? Yes. Cuz it's flat, so it's just one screen underneath. But aren't there like two rectangles? I thought that it was still like it's it's the same. It just doesn't have the hinge. Nope. It's one screen underneath, and they put the touchscreen matrix thing on the bottom part. I'm looking at an image of the 2DS now. That's that's two separate screens. You mean the flat one, right? Yeah. Hold on. I'm linking it to you. No, no, no hold on. Here's a disassemble. That's what it looks like underneath. Shit. 
Yeah, that's the same LCD panel. I guess that stands to reason. But one of them is touchscreen? Yeah, they have a... They layer the touchscreen over the bottom one. That makes perfect sense. Ah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes... Yeah, okay. I don't know then. I don't know how this metaphor works with the 2DS version. It's still perceived as two screens for the player. So are you saying that when you play on the 2DS crystal, the Hyrulean Triforce and the Lowerulean Triforce are the same? I guess so. They're united. They're just separated by perception. Yes. I buy that. That makes sense to me. Well, Jamie, you've destroyed my mind. Uh, congratulations. Write in again if anything else comes up like this. Yes, Jesus I Christ. hope it happens. Yeah, if, if you're hearing this episode, I'm sure that we'll hear back from you again. Our fourth email comes from Jason. The depths are obviously the Golden Land, corrupted into the Dark World. Now we're talking. <laughs> it's a mirror image of the Light World where Ganon was sealed after the Imprisoning War, entombed as a mummy in the depths below Hyrule Castle. Mummies are entombed in pyramids, like a pyramid of power. Hell, and Link, Link to the Past had ancient Hylians with a different language with special powers that could speak to the gods, and they had long ears to hear the voices of the gods. Those are probably the Zonite. Zonite is probably or influenced by the power of the Triforce and imbued with magic properties. Haven't finished the game yet, but I'm leaning toward T Tears of the Kingdom actually being a retelling of Zelda II, Link to the Past, and Ocarina of Time all in one and this Breath of the Wild timeline actually being a reboot. Jason. Now, you had you had me in the first half, Jason. <laughs> so, so wait, do I understand it correctly? Jason is asserting that the so-called Hylians in Link to the Past are actually Zonai. No, they share aspects with Zonai. So what Jason is actually saying is that this is retelling that story. And it essentially acts as a reboot, which decanonizes those older games. Jason is one of those who suggests mm. that this means that Ocarina of Time is, at best, a uh, non-canonical legend that Tears of the Kingdom is giving us the real version of. Crystal? It's funny that people always have a recency bias about that. Because you could just as easily say, with equal validity, that this is just the legend and Ocarina is the real story. You could, yes. But I, I, I'm not, I kind of like the idea of the Zonai writing the Book of Medora. I think that's what the email is suggesting, right? That was what I thought was a possibility. Oh, no, I, I see. So the ancient peoples in the backstory of Link to the Past. Yeah. Right, the ancient people with their own script. Hmm, that could work. Why is the dark world underground? It's very dark. That's true. <laughs> Sunlight don't get down there. But the sacred realm has a sky. It shines gold, not blue. Also true. In one of our crazier theories, we did say that uh, the drab lands were... Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what did we say? It was amalgamation. It was the sacred realm that different parts of the time... Like when the timelines merged, the parts that overlapped and couldn't fit into the new world were dropped into the drab lands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because as the sacred realm, they are infinite. Yes. The drab lands has a sky. It even has a city in the sky. True. And we, uh, I guess, to extend it into the depths here too would be, it doesn't quite connect. Do we think the Zonite is Triforce infused? If it was Triforce infused, it'd probably be yellow, wouldn't it? Yes. I mean, that's my thought. I would sooner say it's magic infused. Magic being green. Like the magic meter? Yeah. 
That hasn't been a thing since Wind Waker. Yes. Wow. It's been 20 years since Wind Waker came out in the West. But isn't technology magical? No. Isn't it just a type of magic that we can understand? No. Okay, what about this idea? The depths are the real world, and the surface is the sacred realm. Go on. I want to hear more of this. Because I'm kind of into this uh, Ganon the Mummy. It was kind of in the bottom of an inverted pyramid idea. But then that would mean that the real pyramid is Hyrule Castle. What do we draw from that? That's a great question. Uh, Everybody was in a paradise, a a flourishing land. Except for Gandorf, who was just left down there. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. The idea of the surface world being the sacred realm has a problem once you remember that Ganon runs around on the surface world an awful lot. That's true. There's something magical going on with the depths, but it's really hard to pinpoint what the deal is. That's very true. We yes. thought that perhaps we'd get something in uh, DLC, but Aonuma and Fujibuyashi says that's not going to happen. So we're left only to theorize about what it is that's further down in the dark. Whatever strange power Ganondorf is drawing his vitality from. I really thought there would be a master mode, and the master mode would be that in the depths, hands would chase you at all times. Good God, a master mode would still be nice to have. Rebalanced. Crystal, I think you're next up. Dear Book of Medora podcast, in your first episode of Tears of the Kingdom coverage, you all brought up how similar to each shrine having a corresponding light route, each of the goddess statues corresponds with a Barkner statue, but you didn't mention how interchangeable a particular quest in the game makes them. When you speak to the goddess statue in the Temple of Time on the Great Plateau and start the quest A Call from the Depths, she exclaims, I am trapped under the water behind the stone gate of the Great Plateau. When you locate her, you discover that it's the head of her companion Bargainer statue. But the part that's fascinating to me is that she isn't asking you to look for her friend or another spirit in need. She speaks as if she and this other statue are one and the same. I'm curious what you make of this and what it says to you about the spirits in these statues. Their roles on the surface and in the depths are different, yet they have one voice? It certainly gives weight to the idea that they are not evil and doing terrible things at the pose, that they are also giving you heart pieces. Thank you very much for the wonderful podcast. I love what you all do. Alan. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Crystal, what, do you, you, Alan. what do you make of it? I interpreted this as um, the bargainer speaking through the statue rather than the statue speaking. Right. Yeah, for one one uh, truly astounding moment, I thought that the, it was the Hylia statue asking for help. And then I was like, wait, no, somebody's taking over the voice, so to speak. An interesting element is that if you go back to that Hylia statue after completing the quest, it's back to being a regular Hylia statue. But why does the Bargainer have the power to speak through a Hylia statue? Well, they are linked in some way. They are linked. Can we connect them? How do you mean? Let us try to connect the goddess statues, the Hylia statues, to the Bargainer statues. Connect them how? Assume, as Ellen posits, that they are the same entity above and... I mean, there's too many Hylia statues, right? Yeah, the Bargainer statues only correlate to the really big Hylia statues. And Hylia is generally seen as good, but it would be interesting if she was outside of good and evil and simply concerned with souls and passing, but that really isn't what she is about. 
supposedly. Could it be an aspect of her? Sort of like Persephone? Can you expand on the Persephone comparison? Uh, In one sense, she's of the, you know, life and spring and bounty and whatever. And the other aspect, she's dying. Death. Death. I mean, the Barkner statues are really the most uh, unequivocally good deities in the series. All they do is carry all souls and regardless of whatever sins they may have, they are ferried into the afterlife. That's true. Does that make them good? It makes them uh, non-judgmental and forgiving. That's true. Well, the game does play a lot with the idea of duality. Even though duality isn't, I guess it kind of is, the thing for The Legend of Zelda ever since Link to the Past. But those dualities are usually subverted in one way or another. The Twilight and Light World duality in Twilight Princess is subverted by Ganondorf and Darkness, the usually this series deals in threes not in twos even if it's just like light dark and the hero well there's the horned god yes there is the horned, horned statue. god and that's interesting to me because the what 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 what's the name of Robbie's wife jera something something like that well she suggests that the horned god may be the opposite the counterpoint to the goddess hylia i don't think hylia is ever actually named in this game isn't she I don't know. In any case, um, Jera compares the horned god to the goddess statue, suggesting that they might be two sides of the same coin. And Alan's putting forth that that may be the case for the spirits of these statues, because these statues are separate from Hylia herself. The mother goddess statue may contain the actual spirit of Hylia, but the other goddess statues are like separate entities from her who have attained a kind of godhood through connection to the god and worship so it's not unimaginable to me that the greater hylia statues may have some connection to the bargainer gods because you're still making bargains with them aren't you you're offering up the light of blessing in exchange for strength would you call that a bargain crystal that seems like a uh, like a deal or a trade or a bargain team. Yeah. I think one of the things about Tears of the Kingdom is that it's a game that's not so much hostile to canonicity as it is hostile to the idea of everything having a concrete answer. It's a game that kind of revels in not explaining certain things to you, not because the answers are in the environment like they would be in a Dark Souls or an Elden Ring, but because the answers sometimes aren't there, and not having the answer can be the point, too. I think that's one of the precious things about the Zelda franchise. That it doesn't explain shit to you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, you know, a lot of the time it's because the developers never thought of it beyond what they wrote down. What do you feel, Crystal? Talking about Zelda is kind of like dumping puzzle pieces from 50 different puzzles into one pile and trying to put it all together. Right. The Bergners are the Dark World version of the goddess statues, I guess. I mean, that must be true, right? That basically lines up. Yeah. Except for all the minor ones. Yeah, the minor ones are like minor spirits. They both make bargains. But the bargainers make bargains for souls in exchange for items. And the goddess statues make bargains for um, for uh, light pieces. And wisdom. In exchange, light pieces and wisdom in exchange for stamina and hearts. 
The items that the bargainers give you are also connected to very strange old things. I think it's also worth noting that there are minor bargainer statues that aren't directly correlated to Hylia statues. So there may be an entire class of minor bargainer statue in the hundreds, just like there are minor goddess statues. They're just not strong enough to be connecting the surface to the depths. And we don't see most of them because of some great upheaval. You mean because uh, Nerd Teen has one? Yes, she does. And we find another one on the Great Plateau. Right. Though they all remark after you've seen the ones to be found in the depths that they've all been located. Yes, all those that remain. In any case, Tears of the Kingdom is a land of contrast. Monica, read the last email. <laughs> I also think it would have been very interesting, like... Maybe at one point they were like, maybe it's just the goddess statues that were a stand-in and they're ones in the depths. You know what I mean? No, I don't. Like, think from a person who's creating this game and they go, oh, I want Link to interact with a statue underground that will grant him things. And not like the statues that will give you stamina or hearts. Let's give him pieces of equipment, but they'll be statically staying there. And the conception might originally just be, well, let's just reuse the goddess statues. Okay, sure. Before you go, oh, let's make them in their entirely separate. So thing. you're saying they're not just linked in universe diegetically. They're also linked on the design level. Yes. How do you feel about that one, Crystal? That makes sense to me, yes. So in that sense, they're definitely two sides of the same coin. Yes. Praying to the goddess enhances your body. And praying to the bargainers ferries your soul. Fairies it? Fairies. Oh, fairies Like Charon. Yes. You trade soul for item, or you trade wisdom slash light for body. Soul, but not your soul. But not yours. Well, I'd actually argue you're not trading souls. You're trading the labor of gathering them. Mm. You never claim ownership of the poles, nor pose, nor do the bargainers. They just pass them on to the afterlife. I would say you claim ownership temporarily of the posts. They're in your inventory. You are only ever a shepherd. You are herding them. But I think there's a difference uh, between carrying them versus owning them. So you're sort of... Two, go ahead. What if I have 200 posts in my inventory and then I go do something else for 20 hours? Well, you're a very bad um, <laughs> farrier now, aren't you? No, no. Maybe... The bargainers are thanking you much like you are collecting bottles, plastic bottles, and turning them in. It's like, thank you for oh. collecting these 2,000 bottles, Link. Here is uh, the outfit of the depths to, to thank you in your collection efforts. You are yourself acting as psychopomp. Yeah. You are Hermes collecting the souls of the dead. Sixth email by Jason. Geography is the forbidden science. Therefore, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom cannot be a part of the old canon, and a new canon has been established. Therefore, Z-Link is the only canon. Jason. Somehow I was finagled into reading this one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that worked out. <laughs> this one and the programming one. No, I did that on purpose. Oh, Crystal, you're a genius. Thank you. Z-Link is the only canon in the Disney canon. In the Disney canon. That's right. Everything else is Zelda Legends. God. The Legends of Zelda. I need to digest this. There, there has to be a way that we can work out pre-Breath of the Wild Zelda canon and give it a name 
that has the initials EU, right? Like, if we try really hard. Eternal Universe. Sure, the Eternal Universe. So Disney has once again uh, dropped nuclear bombs on the EU. They have deployed weapons of mass destruction on the European. Yes. Sealink is the only canon, but I don't know what geography has to do with it. <laughs> no, see, Jason is saying that because Twilight Princess isn't canon, that Malink isn't canon either. Or Midlink. My interpretation here is because these two games have consistent geography, they cannot be in line with the previous games, which never had consistent geography. Mm. Reasonable. This still isn't a new canon, though, Jason. We're not buying that propaganda. It's just not happening. Well, maybe Monica buys it, but I don't. No, no. Maybe Crystal buys it, but I don't. I just don't think we should have a recency bias about this. Maybe this is the fake one. It could well be the fake one. Or maybe they're all real and all valid. That's 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 kind of the whole premise of this podcast. Yes, with Z-Link a thread through the entire. Stop it. <laughs> okay. I'm not. I'm not standing for this right now. Cameron, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at CamRider, though who knows for how much longer. You can find me on Twitter at ArcaneCrystal and on Patreon.com at ArcaneCrystal, where you can listen to this one week early. You can find me on the Eidolon Playtest Podcast, an actual play podcast where we play Eidolon Become Your Best Self, a game about having like a JoJo stand or a persona, some kind of projection of your soul what has superpowers. How's that going? Well, we finished the we finished the first season of Eidolon Ska. Ooh. Congratulations. Now we're going to do a few miniseries and then go back to finish Eidolon Ska. Fantastic. Do you have any idea what the miniseries will look like? I will be GMing one of them. It will be Eidolon Oyster, based around the music of Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, that's going to be fascinating. And when can we expect those episodes to start going up? I think mid-November? Oh, I think so. Okay, great. And we'll find that on the regular Eidolon playtest feed? That's right. Eidolon playtest on AudioEntropy.com, where all fine podcasts are made. Also, if you go to AudioEntropy.com and you go to the About section, you will see a link to the Discord server, where you can come talk with us about Zelda and such. How fantastic that we have a link to the Discord server. I, I really love... The idea, audioentropy.com, where all fine podcasts are made. That's true. That's what you said. It must be true. I never lie. That, that is also true. Would you like to hear a Zelda joke? Uh-huh. The new Zelda game... Oh, this comes in from upjoke.com slash Zelda dash Wait, 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 wait. What happened to the wordplay? The wordplay? The wordplay. You know, I... What? I link, therefore I am. The the article you were reading from... The, the the wordplay too too funny for the the puns too funny for words. Oh right, that was yesterday's one news. of those. Good call. <laughs> no no no. Let me go back to that. Too funny for words. That's right. Thirteen Legend of Zelda puns that are too funny for words from thegamer.com. We did. Let's see. We did number thirteen last time. I I didn't laugh at that one. <laughs> you know how bad a pun has to be that I didn't laugh. It has to be pretty bad. Because I like puns. I know. Yes. Some some of these we've read before. Um, some of these I don't under. I'm gonna read the one that I don't understand. Please. This is number eight. <laughs> Lucky, I'm wearing my Goron tunic tonight. This overlaps with the Zelda pickup lines, of which there is also a bundle. What? Instead of using a pun itself, 
This Zelda joke plays on the two meanings of heat. Literal heat, like in a volcano, or a symbolic meaning when applied to an attractive person. If an explanation is needed, the pun can be extended with, because you're so hot. This reference is a bit more obscure, just in case you're trying to chat up someone who isn't a huge Zelda fan. We aren't going to judge you for that. Okay, so I get it. Lucky I'm wearing my Goron tunic because you're so hot. Why wouldn't you just put that in the... <laughs> why, why wouldn't you just put that in the first one? Well, a true Zelda fan would understand the reference. Dear listeners, please do not use this pun slash pickup line to a person who is not familiar with The Legend of Zelda. And especially do not use it on someone who is familiar with The Legend of Zelda games. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, that was much better than a regular Zelda joke, actually. Do you want to go further, or was that enough? You want one more? Yeah, give me one more. One more. Um, if you get another one that makes you say, what the fuck is this, you have to read that one. Okay, because a lot of these are just the standard Zelda jokes we've read before. Oh, that's disappointing. No, it's fun to know what we can skip over. Like, maybe next time we'll be at number three already. Okay, here's number three. <gasps> are you wearing Pegasus boots? Because you've been running through my mind all day. Yeah. You can literally run, or you can describe no. something you <laughs> no, constantly think about as running through your mind. This is another of the punny pickup no. lines that use the Legend of Zelda no. lore and references. The Pegasus boots appear in several games and give Link the ability to run really fast, and that's why this pun works. You said this is thegamer.net? This is thegamer.com. This, the, this is the kind of journalism I expect from thegamer.com. Jesus Christ, okay. Are you wearing the rabbit? Good night, everybody.
Oh, <laughs> 